This episode of the Esoteric Order of Roleplayers is brought to you by the generosity of our backers on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash esotericrp to find out how you can become a backer too. We create and broadcast these episodes live on native lands. We acknowledge these are unceded lands, with diverse communities maintaining connections to these places, and recognize their ancestors, their elders, both past and present, and future generations. Learn more by visiting the Native American Rights Fund website at narf.org. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of me, David Larkins, and I'm going where I've never gone before. Flight Control Officer's Log Supplemental Lieutenant Commander Jammer has been taken by the residents of Orhath Prime, a strange species of shadow people who seem to still inhabit the ruins of an ancient civilization. Commander Kerensky must now decide whether to attempt an immediate rescue or beam back to the ship. I stand by, phaser at the ready. And with that, we are back and we are jumping into... Act 2 of Encounter at Orath Prime. That's what I decided to name this mission. Seems suitably trekky enough. And uh, we will be rejoining the action shortly. Uh, First, a couple minor notes uh, before we really get into it. Um, Just want to say thanks to everyone who so far has been engaging on our Discord. Um... Yeah, your feedback and comments so far have been uh, really fun and also, uh, you know, really evocative of that sort of community feel of, uh, you know, the Star Trek fandom that it's so well known for. So, uh, yeah, thanks for helping me to feel welcome. And um, also for uh, just some of the interesting uh, conversations we've had. It's um, exactly what I was hoping for. Um, although I would also say, you know, feel free to, uh, throw out, um, any kind of, um, requests or, uh, you know, other things you might like to see either in the mission as it's unfolding or in future missions, you know, I definitely want to, even though this is a solo game, I kind of want to make this uh, a little bit of a community project, weirdly enough. So, that all being said, uh, I think the only other thing I wanted to address was, uh, as I predicted, uh, Des um, did clock me on the Captain Galvin thing, and uh, we had a discussion about that, and in the course, I had just assumed it was an alternate spelling of, of Galvan, um, you know, names morph over time my own last name actually Larkins with an S at the end is a um, sort of an evolutionary branch of the much more common Larkin 
uh, to the extent that it's actually the, the bane of my existence. I actually just got a thing from the city today, uh, you know, a little like community calendar mailer they sent out. And it was, yeah, it was addressed to David Larkin. And I have no idea how they even made that mistake. <laughs> so, um, happens all the time. Uh, you know, surname spellings change. However, having said that, uh, I was curious. I did a Google search. And, um, yeah, apparently Galvin is also a, um, a, an Irish surname. And so there you go. Weirdly enough. Um, yeah. So our guy is canonically Irish, I guess, or at least he has an Irish uh, surname. Um, although to be perfectly honest, I think I was sort of envisioning, uh, you know, sort of again, crossing the streams of sci-fi TV and movie franchises. Uh, this time I was pulling in from Battlestar Galactica, which is another one I haven't seen, but you know, have absorbed through osmosis. And, um, yeah, my understanding is, uh, Edward James Olmos was on Battlestar Galactica, so, and, uh, and, you know, I looked it up to confirm it actually. And, uh, apparently he was offered the role of Jean-Luc Picard before Patrick Stewart. So even more appropriate that we cast him as Captain Galvin since, um, uh, we have a young, younger Picard, um, showing up in our mission here. Um, yeah, so we'll do best of both worlds. You know, we've got, we've got a Hispanic actor playing a character with an Irish surname, much like how Picard was a British actor playing a French character. You know, that's how we roll in Star Trek, I guess. (laughs) Also, you may not know this, but, uh, Leonard Nimoy, actually not Vulcan at all. No Vulcan blood whatsoever. So there was that too. All right. Let's get back into it. So we left off with a nice little act one break, you know, um, fade to black, cut to commercial. Everyone's left wondering what is happening. What is going on? Our intrepid away team has lost not just one of its members, but, but one of the, one of the commanding officers from the ship. Oh no. This is TNG era. We don't send red shirts down to be bumped off no we send commanding officers to the surface of the planet for some reason well they did that in tos all the time too um it's a thing it's a trope anyway okay so right just recap we have got um first officer verena kerensky in charge of this away team Uh, As mentioned in the supplemental log, we had the chief tactical officer, Sterling Jammer, get spirited away by uh, these mysterious beings. Um, And then, of course, we have the uh, chief of security, Krisar, Lieutenant Krisar, the uh, Cation, and uh, and then me, the uh, flight control officer, 
Lieutenant Junior Grade, wins Zadino, who would be the closest to a red shirt, I guess, <laughs> now that I think about it. So, uh, good thing I'm the main character. Yeah. All right, so as I indicated in the opening log, I think that the way we kick off Act 2 is with a decision from uh, Commander Kerensky. Um, she has to decide whether to take action and immediately go off in pursuit of a fellow crew member who has been spirited away, or beam back to the ship and sort of regroup and figure out next moves there. So um, I rolled that she's charismatic as her like kind of main personality trait. And, um, you know, here's an interesting question, actually, because Wynn has a value of good leaders get their hands dirty. I don't think I can apply that to uh, this role, because uh, if we recall, if I burn that value, we generate a point of momentum. Um, however, let's put a pin in that because there might be an opportunity here to, you know, speak up and try and uh, try and convince Commander Kerensky not to abandon fellow crew member so hastily, but we don't even know if that's happening yet. So I'm gonna roll on the yes or no probability matrix. Will Commander Kerensky uh, lead her away team further into the bowels of these strange ruins? Uh, in pursuit of um, Lieutenant Commander Jammer. Uh, and yes, I do realize how silly Lieutenant Commander Jammer sounds. I love it. Okay, so I'm going to say it's probable. I'm going to say it's probable. I think she probably has a similar value to win in, in the sense of good leaders get their hands dirty. So uh, let's find out, though. Ah, uh, I, you know, I felt it. I felt it in the air. So a 15 or less would have been a yes. She would have, we would have gone off in pursuit immediately. I rolled a 16. So after a moment of stunned silence, uh, Commander Kerensky uh, looks around and then she uh, taps her badge and says, Kyushu, this is Kerensky requesting uh, transport back to the ship. We have lost Lieutenant Commander Jammer and are surrounded by hostiles. And um, and so I'm going to say in the, that moment as Wynn looks on, shocked, shocked that Commander Kerensky would be so willing to abandon a fellow crewman who, who for all we know, is not dead. I will speak up and I will say, um, Commander, I don't think we should leave so hastily. Uh, Jammer's probably just over in the next uh, complex, in the next quadrant. We, we can find him easily. Come on, let's go. If we act decisively, we can probably get him back. So she's, she's speaking out of turn. She's being slightly insubordinate. But god damn it, she doesn't care. So that's definitely daring. 
and uh, I'm going to say command. You know, she's sort of taking command of the situation a little bit here. I'm going to burn her value, like I said. I just felt it, you know? It's, it's so funny how that, how that works. Good leaders get their hands dirty. She might even say that. Commander, you always told me that good leaders get their hands dirty. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to ge generate a point of momentum. So the, the main question then is, um, you know, how do we want to spend it? Do we want to, do we want to like, um, you know, generate uh, an advantage or, you know, use it for this role or hold on to it? Um, you know, let me think about that. Let me think about that. So let's see here. Let's just review really quickly what we can do. So I can always re-roll a single d20. I can add an advantage or use it to cancel a threat. Okay, so let's hold off for right now. I'm not gonna add an advantage. Let's see how the roll goes. And then maybe I can add an advantage if I succeed. Yes, that's good. All right, 12 or less. Hey, all right, rolled a 12 and a 10. Sadly, you can only have one momentum at a time. Normally, rolling two successes like that would have generated a momentum, but you can only have one point of momentum at a time. So, um, so Kerensky uh, looks at Wynn. Maybe there's like a sort of mentor-protege thing going on here. You know, maybe Kerensky has uh, taken Wynn under her tutelage. Um, I like that, actually. I think that's... That's a good one. So, trying to sort of mold her. Uh, make a note of that. Wins mentor. Mold her in her image. Uh, after all, we are trying to get Win promoted up to be a uh, first officer. So, um, so for a moment, she looks angry. She looks um, maybe a little affronted you know, that a subordinate would be speaking up like this, you know, speaking out of turn. Uh, but the anger quickly turns to uh, feeling a bit abashed, you know, because she realizes that Wynn is, of course, correct in pointing that out. And so she quickly taps her uh, badge again and says, belay that order. Uh, we're going after uh, Lieutenant Commander Jammer. And um, and I think, you know, maybe uh, uh, Captain Galvin, you know, comes on and, and he says, um, he says, don't go too far, Kerensky. If you can get him back, fine. But you might be walking into a trap. And uh, Kerensky says, uh, if we are, we're going in with our eyes wide open, Captain. All right, so we will call that the end of the first scene. We'll call that a success. And let's proceed on to scene seven. We're halfway through, folks. All right. So uh, our crew, who, if you recall, are um, you know wearing their environmental suits, which are, I think at this time... Uh, pretty, pretty snazzy looking, um, like white, 
you know, kind of not exactly form fitting, but you know, definitely much less bulky looking than TOS era um, suits, and they're not they're not covered in uh, fabulous shiny scales. Okay, so I would like to cash in that uh, momentum and generate an advantage because I feel like we will need it. So let's go to the momentum spends table here. All right. Um, so there's, uh, what is this, six subtables. And so first roll on the momentum spend theme matrix, then roll on the subsequent matrixes to get more specificity about the nature of the theme. Also, you can simply choose the entry that makes the most sense for the circumstances for your game, or you can roll more than once if the first result does not fit. Okay, fair enough. Um, so we've got advanced warning, danger revealed, friendly aliens, new technology, refuge, and trade opportunity. So I don't think I necessarily want to um, roll on the on the the main table because like things like trade opportunity just don't seem appropriate in this case. Um, Okay, so let's look at the other tables here. Advanced warning. You are tipped off to potential danger. The early warning helps you prepare for the peril or allows you to avoid it entirely. That's a good one. Danger revealed. A heretofore unknown danger had been lurking in your midst, but you detect the peril before it's able to inflict harm. Perhaps the hidden foe has been scheming to disrupt your plans, but you're able to manage the situation before they can act. That is a little less... I mean, unless we, we wanted to play around with the idea that you know, somehow there's like, I don't know, Lieutenant Kresar is actually one of these shadow people. Friendly alien encounter. An unexpected encounter with friendly aliens, either an old ally or new acquaintance, aids with your mission. Seems acceptable. New technology. You manage to squeeze more efficiency from your ship systems or acquire helpful technology capable of overcoming current challenges. Okay. Possible. Refuge. You discover a safe location or means of delaying a foe, at least temporarily. I feel like we might need that table later. <laughs> um, so let's... Hmm, let's go with advanced warning. Just see what we get there. Okay, I got anticipate foe's strategy. All right, I like that. I like that, except I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what their strategy is. All right, so let's let's pause for a minute. Let's think about these these strange shadow people, and let's just review a little bit. So, uh, the whole the whole point, the whole mission, you know, type was planetary exploration trap. Okay, so this was a trap that we've blundered into. Um. So we need to decide, first of all, whether this trap was set intentionally, whether the Federation was lured to Orath Prime, or did the Federation show up to, uh, you know, investigate this um, uh, gravimetric disruption and these uh, weirdos <laughs> on the planet have, you know, sort of taken advantage of that. I'm leaning towards the former. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm thinking that the gravimetric disruption might be the bait that they laid down 
and maybe it's not even of gravimetric distortion. Maybe they're just, you know, manipulating things. You know, perhaps they can control gravity. Um, so let's let's roll. I'm going to say it's somewhat probable that this was an intentional trap that they set. And oof, yeah, just got that. Needed a twelve or less. I rolled a twelve. Okay, so they set this trap intentionally. Um. Okay. So what are these guys? Now, I don't necessarily want to nail that down just yet, but I was looking, before I started recording, I was looking at the, uh, the matrixes um, that allow you to roll up different uh, life forms. So, you know, they have, they have a matrix for carbon-based life, they have exotic-based life, which can include things like... Um, electromagnetic or uh, nucleogenic, neurogenic life form. And then they have incorporeal life, um, which is also interesting because one that jumped out at me here was dark matter life form. That's pretty cool. Multidimensional being is on the matrix, of course. Energy-based. Spiritual entity. I kind of like dark matter life form, but again, we're not going to nail it down just yet. But I just, I need to have some, some kind of a framework here. <laughs> uh, because if we're anticipating their strategy, then I kind of need to know what their, what their aims are. Okay, so we've got a ruined civilization. We've got a, a planet that was at one time habitable. Um, okay, so here's a question to ask the Matrix. Uh, are these shadow people um, the original inhabitants of the civilization? And by the way, forgive me if I have asked any questions before, if I've already answered these questions. I do go back and re-listen to the episodes, but, um, you know, frankly, I, you know, had re-listened to the last episode a few days ago. I probably should have re-listened to it before recording here, but uh, c'est la vie. The book actually specifically says, don't worry about it. There's actually a, a box uh, on one of the pages that says, you know, don't worry about the details too much. Uh, if you forget a detail from an earlier part of the mission, that's fine. Or also you can always retcon a detail if like things start to like line up in a different direction that makes more sense. So there you go. Um, but what I'm, what I'm wondering is like, cause one possible avenue I could see here is that these are like, you know, like like the, the whole thing with um, in a nuclear bomb blast, you know, the shadow getting burned into the wall of the, you know, the person who who gets caught in the blast. And um, so I'm, I'm kind of getting that vibe possibly, you know, as being like they're you know, like like they are the original, the indigenous residents of this planet, but the thing that kind of destroyed the planet, you know, in terms of being a livable habitat, sort of left them behind almost as these sort of like living wraiths, you know, living ghosts. So that's one possibility. Another possibility is that, you know, the indigenous inhabitants of this planet died off a long time ago. And these creatures, um, you know, maybe they came to this planet 
through their own means of space travel. You know, maybe you know they probably don't use like spaceships, but um, maybe they travel on different like wavelengths, or if they're multi-dimensional beings, maybe they popped over. Certainly, that's been a plot element in many an episode of Star Trek. You know, uh, uh, beings who are kind of phased out of their space-time or their dimension or whatever and kind of pop over into ours and don't really belong here. Usually they're a bit more incorporeal, I think, or a bit more uh, ghostly than these guys are, but, you know, that's fine. So, and so, yeah, I mean, if that's the case, then they might be trapped on this planet for some reason, maybe because of the gravimetric distortion, right? Ah, I think we're on to something here. So... Yeah, if they, you know, whatever means they use to travel the space lanes, uh, this gravimetric distortion sort of like pulled them in, and now they're stuck on Orath Prime. And so, uh, yeah, they are trying to, you know, this trap is, (laughs) you know, basically trying to get the Federation to come out you know, come with me on this journey. I'm, I'm thinking out loud. Trying to get the Federation to come out so that they can... Question mark, right? And again, I don't think we necessarily need to answer that. But we're moving in the right direction. However, I'm going to honor the spirit of the game. We're going to roll on the probability matrix. We're going to ask, is it the case that these are stranded travelers... Uh, who were pulled in and locked here by the gravimetric distortion through no fault of their own. I'm going to say that's probable. And indeed it is. Okay. Finally, the dice cooperated. Okay, so... um, So yeah, so that is the case. Okay. All right. I think that's sufficient. Um, So we're anticipating their tactics. All right, so so Kerensky says, you know, belay that order. We're going after Jammer. And we all start to move forward. And then uh, Wynn says, wait, Commander. Uh, don't you think it's strange that they took Jammer and didn't just kill him? Left the rest of us alone? I, I think they want information or uh, maybe they want to hold him hostage. Um Maybe they just uh, need something from us. Perhaps we could negotiate with them if we can find them. Okay, good, good, good. So we are going to um, carefully make our way into the into the depths of this uh, ruin here. So again, you know, we got the environmental suits, we got the flashlights sweeping around. I think by this point, it's like absolutely pitch black you know so it's just these these lances these beams of light cutting through the inky blackness and um you know again we uh i do remember from last time that we established uh that it you know the the ruins kind of seem to indicate a very sudden doom that came upon the residents of this city so we're seeing more evidence of that we're seeing um yeah, just a lot of a lot of evidence, like an interrupted life. Um, you know, maybe like relics scattered about. 
actually maybe 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 not so are the shadow people interested in the relics of these ruins or are they just you know using it as opportunistically as a shelter uh, i'm gonna go 50 50 on this one um so they are actually uh interested in the in the relics as well as you know you know they're making the best of it so there is evidence that um uh, the ruins have been like recently disturbed, rifled through, uh, you know, broken, um, you know, pottery or uh, furniture lies strewn about. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to ask another question of the probability matrix here again, 50, 50, uh, was this civilization, was this original civilization on Orath prime, uh, warp capable or not? Uh, they were not okay, as I suspected. So, it was a uh, you know less technologically advanced civilization. Um, something happened environmentally or catastrophically, cataclysmically, cataclysmically. Oi, uh, <laughs> to um, yeah, to just uh, ruin their day basically. Okay. Interesting. So we're seeing a lot of like evidence of sort of not exactly looting, but certainly um, you know searching around for for anything of value. Uh, could be that the shadow people were you know looking for anything that would help them maybe you know construct something or otherwise disrupt this gravimetric distortion. Uh, could be that the gravimetric distortion is what is responsible for the uh, global environmental catastrophe that is that befell Orath Prime and wiped out its um, life on the surface, you know. Okay. So we are looking for Jammer. Looking for Jammer. <laughs> and um, let's see here. So... Um, trying to remember what we might roll for like kind of a um, perception check, you know, searching around. So let's see here. Let's go back, back, back in the book. As I indicated, this is a big book and there's a lot of page flipping. Okay. All right. There we go. All right. So, let's see. Command covers... Uh, oh, I'm in the uh, disciplines. Attributes. All right, control. All right, control is fine motor skills. Mm-hmm. And daring is decisiveness, fearlessness. Insight... Uh, good sense of the moods and feelings of others. Okay, trust their own feelings. Okay, perceptiveness. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. Okay, so insight is is your sort of perceptiveness, and then, hmm, I think. Let's see here. Coordinating, motivating. Okay, let's um, let's see. But security maybe uh, would be good. Yeah, a character with high security and high insight has exceptional situational awareness, likely to be the first to anticipate a threat or spot a potential trap. Perfect. All right. 
I'm going to roll for win first. Uh, so this is insight plus security. Not exactly a forte. It's uh, 11 or less. Um, she does have a focus of empathy, but I don't think that would really apply in this case. So, 11 or less. Here we go. Hey, yo, look at that. All right, so two successes. So we generated a momentum. All right, so I've got my momentum and threat reminders now. <laughs> um, and uh, let's see. I mean, I think most obviously it's very dusty. It's very, um, you know, it's just sort of your classic ruins. And so she very quickly uh, picks up the trail. Uh, you know, where the dust was disturbed by the passage because as we established, these shadow folk are corporeal. They can be uh, seen, felt, and uh, you know, otherwise interacted with. And also uh, disintegrated by phasers. Ha ha. Okay, so Commander, this way. And, uh, you know, her flashlight beam sweeps across the, uh, the trail that was left in the dust as we uh, pursue uh, further into the ruins. Um, question is, is that the scene? Um, I guess so. <laughs> it's a short scene. You know, we'll move it along. We'll move it along. And, um, okay, so we got a momentum on that. I'm going to spend that now to generate an advantage. And I'm not going to roll on the table because I'm going to say that um, uh, because of the previous advantage where we can anticipate their tactics uh, and, and because we picked up their trail, I think, let's see, hmm, I'm a little torn because I can, I can see the next scene being kind of a Temple of Doom type situation where we're like emerging onto a balcony, looking down onto like a room you know, where we can see uh, the uh, sort of HQ of these shadow folk. And, you know, there's Jammer and he's been tied up or, you know, being dangled over a lava pit or whatever. So that that's on the one hand. The other hand is, um, you know, we just kind of catch up with these guys and confront them. That feels a little more Star Trek-y to me. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, certainly sneaking around and... and uh, and, you know, trying to get the drop on somebody, uh, you know, has its place, I guess. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think in this case, you know, we'll just, we're just going to catch up with them. We kind of, you know, yeah, we um, kind of know where they're going. We know what they're trying to do. And so, uh, and so, yeah. Ooh, I've got it. Yeah. So we... Uh, we see our, our away team emerging um, out of this corridor, this hall that they've been moving through. And this is a little like, you know, little Mines of Moria for you here. Uh, you know, as, as we see them emerging into a much larger hall, you know, with, with big, thick pillars like Egyptian, not Egyptian style, but the kind of, you know, big, heavy pillars that you see in like Egyptian temples, right? You know, row upon row upon row. Uh, holding up the, you know, the stone ceiling overhead. And uh, since it's a very large hall, it's very long, 
we can see at the other end. Uh, Jammer, you know, being um, whisked away. Uh, you know, probably in some kind of... Um, is he in restraints? Well, let's roll. 50-50. Uh, no, he's not, re- he's not in, like, physical restraints, but he is being kind of, like, you know, manhandled along. He looks back over his shoulder. He sees those flashlight beams at the other end of the hall. He calls out, help, help. And, uh, and so, and this gets the, the shadow creatures to stop. Um, they turn around, but before they can really do anything, Kerensky calls out and she says, um, she says, whoever you are, we don't want to hurt you. Uh, we just want our, our crewmate back and we're willing to bargain. All right, so we will make a roll using the ship's uh, numbers here to represent her as a as an officer, and um, I mean that's definitely command and comms, I suppose. And um, yeah, so here we go, twelve or less, twelve or less. All right. Wow, I am on fire tonight. So that's another two successes. So I get some momentum again. Um, okay. So the uh, the shadow people look at each other, or look, you know, look around, and um, and let's say um, I don't know, three of them step forward. They're still holding, you know, the rest are still holding Jammer uh, on guard for any any trickery or trappery um they step forward we'll say our trio of uh you know Kerensky Sidino and uh Kresar move forward Sidino and Kresar both have their phasers out Kerensky uh merely has her flashlight beam and um let's see Let's say for uh, for tropey fun, is the atmosphere inside this uh, complex breathable? Yes or no? That's a yes. Okay. Of course it is. So uh, Kerensky sees on her sensors that the atmosphere is now breathable, and she uh, actually takes her helmet off as a sort of you know, gesture of um, openness, you know, um, if they can see her face more clearly, see her features more clearly, you know, that might that might be helpful. Also, it's just very tropey <laughs> and uh, appropriate because, you know, the actress is like, I'm not doing this whole scene in a fucking mask, okay? I'm not doing it with a helmet on. Not happening. Um, okay, so... And uh, by the way, if anyone has any casting suggestions for any of these characters, I mean, I already threw out Edward James Olmos for Galvin. I'm still kind of conceptualizing Wynn in my mind's eye, but yeah, um, please feel free for anyone else, uh, unless, you know, I stumble across something myself. Uh, throw it out in the Discord, and I will probably go with it. <laughs> so, all right. Um, so the Shadow People... now. Let's ask another question of the Matrix. Uh, can the Shadow People communicate verbally? And I think now is the time 
to roll and see what these guys are made of. Literally. So I'm going to roll. I'm going to roll in the incorporeal life table, even though they are corporeal. Uh, just because there's some really fascinating possibilities on here. So let's roll. Ah, an 18. Huh. A psionic entity. Oh, that's fascinating. That is absolutely fascinating because that would seem to indicate that these are um, projections. These are maybe not even real. Oh, see, now we're getting, now we're kind of coming back around. As I said earlier, we can always retcon. We can always undo earlier decisions. Are these the memories of the original inhabitants of this planet taken form? Taken physical form? Let's ask. I love this. I love the probability matrix. It's so easy. <laughs> uh, the answer is no. Okay. So <laughs> All right. Hmm. They are nonetheless psionic entities. So that means they are a construct of the mind. Interesting, interesting. I'm literally trying to wrap my head around that. Okay, okay. Now, being that they're psionic entities, we're not gonna worry too much about, you know, what that means right now. However, I wanted to roll that because that influences the probability that I'm gonna assign on the probability matrix. So given that they are psionic entities, I would actually say it is highly probable that they can communicate at least telepathically, right? In fact, only telepathically, but yeah, highly probable. And that is a yes. Okay, so that's good, that's good, because it <laughs> would have been a little more complicated if we couldn't actually communicate with these guys. Okay, so what would a psionic entity want with the Federation? What would they want? So we're gonna we're gonna stick with uh, since these are not the memories, it's not like the living memories of the previous inhabitants. We'll stick with my original, you know, sort of direction, which is that they got trapped on this planet and they're they want to use the Federation to get out, basically. Um, they captured Jammer as a bargaining chip, right? They're psionic entities. They can be um, killed. We've established that. Hmm. So, what do they want with the Federation? The gravimetric distortion is trapping them here. Okay. I paused the recording briefly <clears throat> to um, do some research. That's one of the advantages of this uh, format is that I can look things up without worrying about um, the other players at the table. <laughs> I'm the only player at the table. All right, so I looked, looked up gravimetric distortion and did a little bit of, of reading on that. Um, you know, I, I'm resigned to the fact that uh, I will no doubt inadvertently recreate 
many uh, plot beats of existing Star Trek episodes. I think in this case, I seem to be hewing somewhat closely to a, um, I believe, a Deep Space Nine episode called Meridian about a planet that sort of uh, phases in and out of our of our dimensional reality uh, due to some kind of quantum anomaly and um, the residents on that planet are uh, exist only as beings of pure thought when they are not in our reality um so there's some there's you know some little overlap there but uh, as I say I, I don't think I don't think these shadow creatures are um, are necessarily yeah I mean I, I you know as much as I like the idea of a dimensionally phasing planet so okay let's revisit the gravimetric distortion thing here because so normally that um, that has to do with like stars and nebulas and like big cosmic you know objects uh, but we've got planetary exploration very specific and then we rolled gravimetric distortion destroy gravimetric distortion so this planet is the source of a gravimetric distortion um, or potentially a gravimetric distortion because that actually see it hasn't really played a role in the story so far I think that's gonna change with act three right we got it we got to keep the action escalating we got to keep things spicy here so I think I think our two Federation starships were dispatched to Orath Prime to investigate Maybe a probe or another, you know, like a, a smaller uh, starship that was kind of like on more of a sort of, um, like maybe it was a science vessel, a science vessel, um, you know, that was just taking readings of this particular sector. We haven't established what quadrant we're in, but, uh, you know, beta quadrant, I think, is perfectly fine. And, um, you know, so we're probably on the fringes of the beta quadrant. And, um, and, uh, actually, we might have established that already. Again, I don't know. <laughs> I'm only as good as the notes I'm taking, and I'm not taking a lot of notes. Um, <laughs> I'll try to get better about that. Anyway, okay, so we're on the fringes, wherever we are, beta quadrant, let's just say. And, uh, yeah, there was some, there was some, you know, sort of like planetary survey ship that was passing through the Orath system, which had been mapped, but not detailed, you know, and it was taking some readings of Orath Prime, and it, you know, it's like, oh, you know, there's some interesting gravimetric readings coming off of this planet, you know, and uh, so there were some indications that there was something strange about it in that sense. Okay, so, yes. All right, and so it is, mm, see, now I'm getting a different idea about trap, right? Because gravimetric distortions, they, they trap ships. They, uh, they can shut down your warp capability. Um, they can just trap you within their uh, gravity well, you know. Um, I think it's very reasonable to assume that the uh, catastrophe that caused... Uh, Orath Prime's, you know, 
descent into uh, uninhabitability has to do with that. So, in fact, let's just go ahead and determine that for sure. We'll say it is uh, probable that that's the case. And yes, okay. Hmm, yeah. So maybe the core of this planet is made of some kind of like very dense material or um, some other kind of, I mean, I was reading about omega molecules. That was interesting. Could the core of Orath Prime be made of omega molecules? These are, um, these are like kind of primordial molecules that are very, very powerful. Like each molecule has the power of a, warp, of a ship's whole warp core, but they're also incredibly unstable. Um, perhaps those are causing some kind of gravimetric distortion field, um, almost like a magnetic field, you know, around this planet. And, um, you know, as, as, a, uh, as a tip of the hat to Meridian, maybe it's a cyclical thing. So although the planet itself does not phase in and out of our dimension, uh, the gravimetric distortion kind of oscillates. And so the last time that it, it, it built up to a great degree um, was however long ago it was a habitable Class M planet with a civilization on it. And then there was this surge of gravimetric uh, shear and um, and that was the end of life on Orath Prime and now we are cycling back around and so the first you know indication is that the shadow people have been trapped ah yes alright we have at last arrived at the contents of scene 8 act 2 scene 8 um I mean, really, properly, scene three, act two, scene three, but, you know, whatever. However you want to number it. All right. So, Commander Kerensky says, we just want to talk. Trio of shadow folk come forth. And in the minds of the away team, they hear... They don't, they don't even... It's not that they hear voices. They just... Um, they form thoughts in their minds. Um, it's as if they are thinking, but they are thinking somebody else's thoughts. And so they are, they are in the manner of thoughts. They are, they are somewhat verbal, but also rather impressionistic. And, um, and so these thoughts, uh, center around, um, uh, you know, we are trapped on this planet. We are, uh, we are travelers. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the reason they need humans is because they are psionic creatures. They need minds to travel. They need minds to latch onto. They're almost like lampreys in that sense. Ooh. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> okay. So, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This is good. So these thoughts are saying, you know, we are trapped here. You are trapped here as well. This planet is unstable. It will soon begin to shake itself apart from gravimetric shear. We must escape this planet as soon as possible. We had intended to take just one of your crewmen um, and open his mind in order to 
stowaway for our journey off of this planet. But if you would like to volunteer your minds as well, we will not stop you. All right. So on that ominous note, <laughs> um, let's initiate a, a combat, uh, if you will. Um, however, this is not a physical combat. This is a psychic combat. Now, of course, you know, we're still going to use the combat rules. This just kind of demonstrates the flexibility of the system, really, in that um, we're just tracking hits. Uh, and in this case, it's not physical hits. It is the battle of wills as the, the three entities are trying to uh, sort of crack the uh, psychic defenses of our away team. Um, so, again, like we did with the battle on the bridge and the, um, you know, phaser shootout earlier, uh, we'll just be focusing on win. We're not going to, like, we're just going to, as win goes, so goes everyone else. Uh, before I get into that, though, uh, let's roll in the probability matrix. Has, um, <clears throat> has Jammer been jammed uh <laughs> has his mind already been taken over invaded etc uh wrath of Khan style you know you know again i'm not originality is overrated you know if there's if there's callbacks and and echoes of previous star trek beats i say bring it on i also say it's somewhat probable that his mind has been taken over and it is not. Okay, so they hadn't had time yet. Okay, so this is really for all the marbles here. If if Wynn loses this combat, all four members of the away team are going to have their minds taken over. What that means, well, we'll figure that out. But here we go. Okay, so we have got... Um, we have got to figure out how we're going to do this. Okay. So I'm tempted to go with presence as the attribute, but let's skip back again and look up the definition of an attribute. Okay, let's see here. Okay, here we go. So presence, so win has a presence of 10, which according, there's some handy little tables here. It says you have a strong sense of self and your confidence comes out in your body language and the way you speak. You can hold the attention of a room and get your point across effectively. Um, defines a character by their strength of personality and their ability to draw attention and command respect. They may appear in deft or eloquent rhetoric, bombast or bravado, easy charm and enticing manner or quiet gravitas. Such strength and personality also means a strong sense of self, allowing a character to resist coercion or manipulation by remembering who they are and what they believe. That seems uh, appropriate, because I feel like this is almost like the way they insinuate themselves into your brain is um, is to get you to yeah, kind of forget who you who you are, who you really are. Um, let's see here. Control does cover discipline. But I think we will go with presence. Yes. Now, the disciplines. Hmm. 
Uh, let's see. Okay, we're going to go with command because that covers personal discipline and resisting coercion. There we go. All right, so presence plus command. So that is a 12 or less. Uh, empathy. Does empathy cover... <laughs> I'm going to leave this up to the matrix. Does empathy cover uh, as a focus this uh, particular combat? Uh, yes, it does. Okay, so there's a little bit of mental armor there in the form of empathy. So again, it's a focus, which means my command is two. That means if I roll a uh, two or less, um, I believe I uh, I get to do something fun. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll cross that bridge. We'll recross that bridge when we get there. Okay, 12 or less. First roll. All right. Ooh, hey, there's that 20. <laughs> Okay, so um, so I rolled a success, but I also rolled a 20, so that generates a threat. Um, all right. All right. So I will go ahead and, and inflict a hit on my opponent, but I will spend the threat to make the next task difficulty two. Which means I need two successes, and I do not get two successes so I take a hit in return okay next up all right what did we say we're doing here we are 12 or less so I did roll two successes there so I get a momentum uh, I inflict a hit and um boo, 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 boo. I can add one hit to the opposition and that would end the combat right there. So let's do that. Let's do that. Okay, so Wynne has successfully resisted her mind being taken over. That's probably for the best. <laughs> ah, I'm just so tired of winning all the time. All right, so... Um... I didn't I did name my character win after all. <laughs> Alright. Now I know I said as win goes, so goes the away team. However, let's make it a little more interesting here. Um and let's let's ask the probability matrix. Uh did anyone else uh let's how how should we phrase it? Did everyone successfully fight off their attacker? And I'll say that's somewhat improbable. Again, let's just make it interesting. Um, right. So that is a no. Okay. So I'm going to roll a little d6 here. Uh, actually a d3. So how many of the away team were uh, compromised? Just one. Okay. So I think it's reasonable. Let's say it's um, probable that that was um, Jammer. Okay. All right. So, uh, so our three away team members all, you know, like sort of, <laughs> we we get a chance to do some some classic trek overacting as we as we recoil, uh, clutching our heads dramatically and grimacing as the shadow people sort of menacingly advance towards us, and um, and then uh, and then I'm going to say at this point, Kerensky. 
uh, punches her communicator and says, uh, you know, engineering, get us out of here, you know. And so uh, that is definitely under difficult conditions. So, um, uh, but fortunately, we've got a nice engineering score on this crew here on this ship. And um, uh, yeah, I believe that was comms plus engineering, if I remember correctly. But the uh, the values are all more or less the same, so that's fine. Um, mm, okay, two successes, including one that was under engineering, but we don't have any talents here that would apply. Um, no, we don't. Okay, so we get the uh, we get the old transporter sound. We are out of there, and I'm going to say they got Jammer as well. All right, so Jammer's got stowaways. We, we the player and the viewer, uh, we know this. Our crew, our intrepid heroes do not. All right, so we're back on the ship. We got a stowaway inside Jammer's mind. Um, we've established that the ships are now trapped and um, and that the planet is going to be um, making itself extremely inhospitable in short order, although we don't know how much time we have just yet. All right, so we are back on the ship. And let's see, where do we want where do we want to set the next scene? Um, all right, so I think uh, I think the next scene is in the transporter room, as our as our away team uh, materializes inside the transporter room, and we've got uh, Captain Galvin and our uh, medical officer, who we have not met yet, and uh, a couple security uh, crew. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so we, we sort of, you know, materialize on the transporter deck and, um, and sort of, you know, almost immediately sort of stumble forward and our, our chief medical officer, uh, Lieutenant Harrison Frakes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Those of you on the Discord uh, were party to conversations about favorite characters. I reiterated... Uh, my admiration for Riker and um, and so you know naming this character in honor of Jonathan Frakes uh, you know why the hell not and I threw Harrison in there as well because this guy is sexy and why is he sexy well he is half Rhysian or Rhysian I don't know but this I was rolling random um, species and I got these guys, and um, yeah, apparently they are—they're just—they're um, made for loving you, baby. And um, to quote Kiss, uh, yeah, they're <laughs> kind of primarily known. What, what did it say here? Oh, what do we got? There it is. Uh, 
Rizians appear much like humans, save for a decorative gold emblem in the center of the forehead. They have open and adventurous personalities, but also have great patience with others. Rizians have an honest and open attitude to sexuality that is renowned throughout the galaxy. Potential mates with a sexual appetite display ceremonial icons called Horgahn that invite partners to participate in the sexual rite Jamaharon. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> this guy, uh, Dr. Frakes is, is the product of <laughs> some, some Jama Horon and, um, uh, with a, you know, a human parent and a, and a Rizian. And, um, and so I think he, you know, inherited, uh, some of that, you know, some of his Rizian parents, uh, natural charm. I rolled charming for his personality attribute. And um, and so, yeah, that's a potential love interest there for Wynn, obviously, or at least a, a source of perhaps unrequited love or just a crush. Um, but yeah, so he moves in very quickly with his uh, scanner, you know, and he's kind of like giving everybody the old uh, once over. And uh, just making sure everyone's okay. Kerensky is giving her report to Captain Galvin. Um, you know, basically summarizing everything that just happened. Um, but I think as soon as uh, Dr. Frakes gets to Lieutenant Commander Jammer, something happens, right? Um, because obviously the scanner would pick up um, some kind of you know, perhaps not a disruption, but just strange reading. So let's let's start with that. Let's just see. Let's see what Frakes discovers. Uh, so we're going to roll sensor plus medicine, and see what we get. Okay, so um, got two successes on that. So that generates some momentum. So, um, I'm going to hold on to that. Uh, but yeah, you know, um, Frake's, uh, handsome face, uh, clouds over as his brow knits with concern. Um, he looks at Jammer and says, are you feeling all right, Lieutenant Commander? And Jammer says, oh, yes, I feel fine. I've never felt better, in fact. And, uh. And the doctor simply nods, and then uh, and says, uh, "Captain, a word, please." As they um, and as they depart, um, uh, Captain uh, Galvin uh, orders everyone to return to their stations. So we will mark that scene concluded. Okay, so we're coming up to the last scene of the act. I'm trying to think, and it does look like we'll we'll be able to finish this mission um, in one episode here, as I suspected. Even with all of my waffling about trying to figure out what the hell is going on. So, okay, so we're coming up with the last scene of Act Two. So we need some uh, we need some good escalation here. Um, okay, so what have we established? We've established that the Shadow Folk need to sort of like jump into the minds of of uh, flesh and blood, let's just say, flesh and blood creatures. 
Uh, so, and we've also established that um, our ships are trapped in a gravimetric shear that is emerging from this planet. Okay. All right. So, I think with Lieutenant Commander uh, Jammer as like kind of the anchor. What we had before was these shadow folk just kind of like materializing on the bridge and just trying to sort of brute force their way to sort of capture some crew. But um, but I think I think with Jammer possessed, he becomes like a, a beacon. So let's let's do a probability matrix for that. Let's just say, uh, yeah, does <laughs> does Jammer become a signal? Ha ha ha! Let's say that's highly probable. So that's an eighteen or less. Okay. Yep. And. Um, Okay, so he becomes this kind of beacon that the other uh, creatures can kind of hone in on. And, um, and it allows them... What, what I'm kind of picturing is that because... Okay, so earlier we were like, you know, oh, how are these guys moving around? You know, they're not using like traditional transporter technology, right? Well, I think it's because they're beings, they're corporeal beings of thought, which is super weird. Um... They move with the speed of thought. You know, they don't. They don't really. Space time to them is different. Now, this gravimetric distortion has still captured them because they are corporeal. But at the same time, if they have, like, yeah, like if if there's sort of like other creatures that are capable of sentient thought in the vicinity, they can kind of hone in on that and move towards it. And if they actually have one of their own kind who are inhabiting a sentient creature of, of flesh and blood or, or something analogous to that, um, so much the better. It makes it even easier for them, right? Yes, yes, it's all coming together. All right, so I think it's time to, to kick it over to well let's um first of all let's go ahead and spend that momentum and see what's to be seen on the old momentum spends table i want more threats <laughs> you know threats are fun threats make things happen all right let's see let's go with danger revealed for this one so this is a, a, a hidden danger. Alien spy makes contact. Alien spy makes contact. Okay. Hmm. I'm gonna have to think about that one. Okay, I got it. All right, so for this last scene, okay, so we're back on the bridge. Uh, Wynn is back at, at the uh, navigation uh, con, and um, uh, you know most of our other folks are are at their stations. There's uh, science officer uh, Timir, and you know we've got um, uh, engineer Lieutenant Thorella, um, Kerensky, Galvin. And, um, and, uh, let's see. 
let's say that once again we've got Picard up on the up on the view screen. That would also explain why Picard couldn't see these guys because I think being creatures of thought, you have to be in this. You, know, you have to be like physically, you know, observing them. Like like the uh, they wouldn't show up on on like any kind of camera type technology, any kind of view screen technology. Um, because, you know, cameras can't capture thoughts, you know. Um, ooh, yeah. So that would reveal a potential weakness, actually, is like <laughs> one way to defeat them might be to just not think about them, to think them out of existence, right? It seems a very Kirk-esque kind of solution. So we'll put that in our back pocket for Act 3. Uh, that's definitely a possibility. Um... But yeah, so once again, Galvin and Picard are conferring um, and, uh, you know, are, are confirming that um, that the uh, their ships are operating on impulse power, but their uh, uh, ability to create a warp, what is it, what is it, a warp bubble or warp cell around the ships uh, seems to be have been compromised by these increasing uh, waves of gravimetric distortion that seem to be uh, emanating from the core of the planet. So, uh, you know, if this were, if this were a show, we've already gone over all that, you and I, dear listener, but if this were a show, uh, we would have a bit of dialogue establishing that, but there's no point repeating ourselves here. So, um, so yeah, so everyone's, everyone's quite, you know, quite serious, quite, um, quite earnest let's let's throw a roll in anyway uh we've got our um uh trusty lieutenant commander tamir and she's running some scans so let's do sensor plus science that's a 14 or less and i believe we had high resolution sensors that's right so if i roll four or less it's kind of like a focus on a character uh, but let's see. Hey, there's a four. Sweet. All right. Well, now I have to remember what a focus does. Uh, <laughs> the other one was a fail, so we just got the one success. So that is fine. That's perfectly fine. But, uh, yeah, let me remind myself what a focus does. And then we will go from there. Okay, so it says here, if the character has a focus that applies to the current task and they roll a number equal or less than their discipline rank, they immediately create an advantage or roll on the advantage table. That advantage is now activated and can be woven into the narrative. All right, let's roll on that advantage table. Okay, here we go. All right. Second wind, a boost of energy helps with dealing with a tense situation and allows you to regain some of the control needed to accomplish your goals. Could that possibly be more vague? <laughs> okay. Oh, lordy. All right, so this... <laughs> what the hell? All right. <laughs> you know, I, I will say, I, I do really enjoy the system. I think it's, you know definitely creating a very interesting story but man if you want to give your brain a workout just 
you know, if you feel like you want to sharpen up your creative muscles a little bit, definitely take Captain's Log for a spin because holy crap, guys. Oh, okay. Just having to constantly make decisions. Okay, so this was based off a sensor roll. We've got high high resolution sensors and we are scanning the planet and we got a second wind that gives us the ability to accomplish our task more effectively okay so um okay so the two captains have just uh you know wrapped up uh conferring when um is it uh yes lieutenant commander timir uh you know, looks up from her, um, you know, data and everything that's, you know, coming up on at the screen on her station or on the screen at her station. And, um, and let's see, ah, maybe, okay. How about this? So, uh, she says, uh, captain, captain <laughs> addressing both captains. Um, According to Kyushu's uh, gravimetric sensor array, the uh, the core of this planet is made up of omega molecules. They are growing increasingly unstable uh, to the point that we have precisely one hour and 17 minutes uh, before they break the entire planet apart and unleash a gravimetric singularity. Now, is that a second wind? Uh, a little bit, because it gives us very precise information, right? So that's our goal. Our goal is to get the hell out of here. Um, so that gives us some very precise information as, as to what we're dealing with. You know, what the stakes are, how long do we have, etc. And can we stop it from happening? See, that's the other thing. That's, that's what Act 3 is going to be about. Act 3 is going to be about... Can we get the hell out of here? Um, and, and or can we stop this uh, this core of omega molecules from um, destroying the planet and, and making essentially rendering this whole section of the beta quadrant uh, unnavigable, right? Because it's going to create such a huge um, distortion field, essentially, that ships will have to you know, go way around it to, um, um, you know, not get caught up in it. So it would, it would behoove. So in that sense, okay, so we're gonna, we're, we're coming back around. So I'm, I'm seeing here how these, like, these prompts can kind of, you know, take a little while to start making sense, right? Um, so when we say destroy gravimetric distortion, what we're really saying is prevent the gravimetric distortion from occurring or at least occurring on a large scale okay so that is the what was it the the, the theme i think it was or um, yeah something along those lines um uh, yeah so we're, we're trying to prevent this planet from being destroyed and and creating a gravimetric uh singularity now so everyone looks at each other with uh, great gravity, haha, um, and uh, and suddenly we hear the voice of 
Lieutenant Commander Jammer. He uh, was in sick bay, but he is now standing uh, just outside the turbo lift. And he says, um, he says, that's right. We don't have much time, which is why you all are going to help us get off the planet first. And then we will help you escape. And uh, so that's a good act break there, I think. Dun, dun, dun. All right. So we will press on straight into Act 3. There's an option to do an Act 3 supplemental log, but I won't do that. I will do a closing log, though. And uh, so we'll just press right on into Act 3. Okay, so we are getting into Act 3 with that dramatic reveal. The, uh, the psionic weirdos. <laughs> um, yes, the, uh, the psionic travelers have, uh, have offered a bargain to the crew of the Kyushu. Um, essentially, if, uh, if they open up their minds and allow the travelers to stow away inside their consciousness, um, they will be given the knowledge of how to escape from this gravimetric distortion well that is beginning to open up within the core of Orath Prime. So I think the first question to ask is, is this a bluff? on the part of the uh, the shadow people. So I will roll for that. And we'll give it a 50-50 chance. Uh, no, it is not a bluff. They do know. Okay, so so what they needed was starships. They needed they needed a a sort of flesh and blood vessel within a starship vessel. They needed multiple vessels. Uh, in order to get out of here, they they couldn't simply think their way out of this gravimetric distortion, uh, they could not. They could not travel at the speed of thought, um, thanks to the uh, the strange, um, yeah, distortion in space and time that the um, that this lonely planet is exerting. Okay, so that that makes it interesting. You know, that certainly um, that certainly creates. A dilemma for Captain Galvin, um, who I think at this point uh, will retire with uh, Lieutenant Commander Jammer um, to the ready room to sort of talk things over. Um, meanwhile, for this scene, what do we want Wynn to be doing? Um, she is skilled in engineering. So I think, I think as a backup plan, right, we would want to be trying to figure out if we can just get the hell out of here on our own, right? We have a limited amount of time. We've got the, old, we've got the good old ticking clock uh, scenario going here. So I think... Um, uh, who's our engineer? Uh, Thorella, the Andorian. 
Um, so, yeah, Lieutenant uh, Thorella um, grabs Wynn, says, uh, come with me down to engineering. We need as many uh, hands on this as we can. And, uh, and since we're not going anywhere, uh, you might as well help out. So, um, so we quickly transition the scene uh, down to engineering. We've got um, our Andorian engineer uh, punching some numbers up on the screen, running some analysis, confirming, yes, indeed, the, um, the warp bubble, excuse me if that's not the right term, um, is, uh, is degraded by the uh, distortion field given off by the planet. And, um, and I think they're probably in communication with the Stargazer's engineering crew as well. Um, so let's find out what they can find out. So we've got um, engineering of four. That's pretty good. And um, let's see. Engines, I suppose. Engines plus engineering. 14 or less. Let's see what we can find out here. I think with a regular success, you know, I'm not this isn't a difficulty two, but I think with a regular success, we're just sort of confirming that we can get out of here under the right circumstances, right? Um, oh, how about this? How about how about we do it again, some classic Star Trek trope here. The number of successes will determine how quickly they can, um, you know, come up with a solution to get the, you know, basically bypass the the issues of this gravimetric distortion field. Now, of course, we've got impulse drive, so we could impulse drive our way away from the planet. I think the problem is that even though the Kyushu has an improved impulse drive as one of its talents. Um, we can't get far enough away in that in that hour or so that we have, right? You know, even traveling at like half the speed of light, once that gravimetric singularity pops, it's going to like suddenly go boop and like just you know cover uh, hundreds of light years, you know, in in one in one fell swoop, and so the um, the ships would be trapped within the singularity and very quickly torn apart by the uh, gravimetric shears. So it's amazing what a little bit of reading on memory alpha can do for you. <laughs> um, so let's say that we're working on, we're working on solving the issue of the warp, you know, the warp drive basically being negated, shut down by the distortion field. And with one success, with one success, we'll say that we've figured out a way to do that, but not in the time frame given, right? This is your classic, you know, how long will it take you? Two hours. You've got 30 minutes, <laughs> you know, which is, by the way, my least favorite Star Trek trope, because it's never like... It'll take me two hours. All right, you've got an hour and a half. It's always like, it'll take me two hours. You've got 10 minutes. You know, it's like, like, bro, they're not like inflating those numbers. 
to like you know get extra pay or something like like if an engineer says it'll take me this long and the captain's like no it won't it'll take you a quarter of that time i'm kind of like how like you can't just will it to take a quarter of the total amount of time you've estimated like that's ridiculous but anyway that's my little rant about that trope but nevertheless we're going to do that anyway so one success means we can do it but it's going to take more than an hour two successes mean we can do it in an hour so it would be very tight it would be an extremely uh close call if i happen to roll um a uh, you know a momentum uh you know maybe we'll turn that into an advantage and say we can get it done even sooner i don't know I don't want to like drain the drama out though. I mean, we're, we're, we're just on the opening scene of act three here. So, you know, all right. So what did I say? 14, I rolled two successes. Boom. All right. So, um, right. So, uh, Lieutenant Thorella, you know, gets the captain on the comm link and, and says, uh, captain, I think, I think we can uh, reroute the uh, warp power source through uh, the auxiliary coils. Uh, again, techno babble. Um, in such a way that it is uh, not affected by the gravimetric distortion field, and uh, we should be able to achieve at least warp one, uh, if not faster, but it's going to take me an hour. And, um, and then, of course, Captain Galvin uh, turns to uh, Timir and, and, says, um, and says, how much time until the planet blows, Timir? To which the uh, science officer replies, um, by my calculations, Captain, one hour and three minutes. Uh, to which Galvin then calms back to uh, Thorella and says, you're cutting it awfully close there, uh, to Thaw. To Thaw being Thorella's first name. Um, yes, I like that. So, that is our first scene of Act 3. So far we've had all successes, which again feels, feels a little weird. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm playing it wrong. Like, shouldn't I have more failures? I don't know. But no, this is how this is how it goes. Um, okay, so it's a it's a suboptimal solution, but it, it 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 could potentially work. However, we've got a negotiation ongoing with um, um, Lieutenant Commander Jammer operating effectively as the envoy as the as the uh, point of contact with this other species um, they're claiming that um, you know their solution their you know their fix to this problem would be more or less instant and um, you know we just have to basically provide the um the cargo space essentially for them to to climb aboard so <clears throat> it's a um 
It's an unsavory proposition, to say the least, because there's no guarantee that once these guys have, you know, invaded your mind, that they'll give it back to you. Or that you won't be somehow changed by the experience in a negative way. So, let's go to the probability matrix. What is Captain Galvin thinking about all this? Um, I think it is highly improbable because it feels like it also just kind of goes against the general Federation vibe of, um, you know, self-determination, free will. You know, if you if kind of like willingly let some psionic entity take over your mind, you know, that's kind of, eh, you know, it's a little iffy. So, um, on the other hand, he would recognize the species as another sentient species. Hmm. I mean, Kirk would just be like a flat out no. <laughs> you know, we don't really know Galvin too much at this point. Um, he is stoic. He is stoic. That's his personality trait. So I'm going to, I'm going to actually go with improbable. It is improbable that he will agree to the proposition of these psionic beings. So let's see what the dice have to say. Yeah, no, that's, that's a no. Um, <clears throat> so, um, so yeah, so so back in his ready room, uh, you know, the scene where we're sort of, you know, we've moved away from Wynn as the POV character for the time being. You know, it's interesting, the, the book actually even talked about B-plots as a thing, so, um, which is an interesting idea, you know, doing an A-plot and a B-plot. Um, you know, um, so actually, why don't we, yeah, why don't we, why don't we stay with Wynn? Um, this isn't a B plot per se, but, you know, we've, we've basically, back in the ready room, we've got uh, Galvin and uh, Jammer, <laughs> Jammer come psionic shadow person, um, sort of hashing it out with Galvin drawing a line in the sand and saying, I absolutely will not permit my crew to be taken over by your people. Um, but meanwhile, we've got uh, when Let's see. We've got a couple of the crew here that we've sort of established some potential relationship threats. So, uh, Commander Kerensky is Wynn's mentor. We've established that. Um, Lieutenant Frakes is uh, Wynn's crush, at the very least. Hmm. Okay. Let's see here. I wonder... Let me, uh... Let me go to the encounter table here, you know? Let's see if there's some fun, some fun encounters we could we could play around with, you know, and uh, just kind of see see what's to be seen here. So we've got, hmm, okay. Well, we've got a lot of interesting possibilities there. We could also roll on the complications table. Let me think. Okay, I don't think I need to roll any tables, actually. <clears throat> Here's what I got. 
I've established that the captain is perhaps somewhat unwisely chosen to have a one-on-one <laughs> with um, with Jammer. And perhaps on the assumption that since Jammer is the one who is possessed, um, the captain is, is in no danger of being possessed himself. However, that is not necessarily true. For one thing, the, the entity that is possessed Jammer could always try and possess uh, Captain Galvin. Um, or, like I said, Jammer is kind of a beacon at the moment, and... Um, you know, another of these entities could come up to the ship and attempt to possess uh, Captain Galvin. So before we before we shift the focus back to Win, let us determine what happens in the ready room in conversation between Galvin and this entity. And I think we will uh, go back to uh, what we did before in terms of a combat. And uh, so this time we will be doing, um, <laughs> so for lack of a better, for lack of a better um, category, we'll do weapons plus security. So that is actually terrible. That is that is a nine. The Kyushu is not a warship, um, and so obviously Galvin is, um, yeah. Now he does have the stoic trait so we'll treat that as a focus so if i happen to roll a one um then we'll we'll get it we'll at least get a, a focus related advantage um off of that but uh but yeah let's let's see what happens here all right well <laughs> okay so right off the bat i rolled two successes uh including a one <laughs> i you know, I'm trying to create dramatic reversals. I really am. <laughs> this is ridiculous. All right. <laughs> oh, dear. You know, maybe I should have just gone with the probability matrix. We're figuring it out. We're learning as we go along. All right. So, <laughs> ridiculous. All right. Uh, let's see. All right. So... Again, we've got that momentum. Add one hit to the opposition, remove one hit, reroll, create an advantage, cancel a threat. All right, so we might as well just do two hits on the opposition. And then, um, and then yeah, we've generated a, uh, a focus-related advantage. So I think that, um, I think what happens is, is uh, uh, Captain Galvin can feel his mind being assaulted. And uh, and so he, he immediately calls out red alert, and so the whole ship goes on red alert, and um, uh, Kerensky and and Sedino are on the bridge, and so they're going to rush to the ready room, and um, you know, so we'll we'll, we'll kind of get you know the appearance of allies here, I suppose. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so, but let me let me keep rolling for the psychic combat before we get to the sort of physical outcome. Ah, there we go. There's a threat that just came up. Now, I did also roll a success. However, I can spend that threat to immediately uh, cancel that. Okay. Rolling again. 
okay, so what did I say we are trying to do here? We are going for a nine or less, so that is... That is a failure. Uh-oh. Well, you know, hey, two to one. Okay. And that is one success. So that's all that we needed. All right. So, okay. So uh, the captain has successfully fought off this assault, the psychic assault, um, as, uh, as Sedino and, and, and Kerensky come uh, rushing in and the captain again he's, he's kind of staggering back he's you know sweaty um, uh, Jammer is, is standing there doing the, the Kubrick look you know like kind of with his head tilted forward and his eyes looking up all menacingly and I think Wynn is just going to be like you know what that's it and she's going to go in and just try and like kind of um, subdue um Jammer. Right. So let's do. Uh, okay. So that was. So that psychic combat was was a scene, in and of itself. And then we're gonna get a fight between uh, Win and Jammer. And I'd say the stakes here are that if she loses, obviously um, she would be possessed. But she's mostly just trying to subdue. Uh, jammer. So, um, right. So, what did we say? Daring, I believe, was the um, was the fisticuffs attribute, and then um, and then obviously uh, security, and of course we have our mokbara uh, focus there. So, okay. Let me just double check that I'm remembering this correctly. Daring. Uh, yep, hand in. Okay, cool. All right. It's a very action, actiony episode. You know, a lot of a lot of fights, a lot of phaser shootouts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know, maybe uh, maybe next mission will be a little more cerebral, a little more contemplative. All right, so I got one success on that. So, and what are we, what are we going for again here? Um, three or less would, would uh, generate a focus advantage. Okay, cool. So 13 or less overall. And, oh, wow, a rare fail. Okay, roll a 15 and a 16. Okay. All right. One success there. Oh, and that was a three. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so that is going to generate an advantage. Um, I'm going to say the advantage is that is that Wynn gets her, um, like, you know, gets a pair of manacles out, right? Um, space manacles. And, um, and so the advantage will be, you know, if she wins this combat... Um, Ooh, like maybe it's maybe it's not even like manacles. It's just like uh, some kind of a uh, you know electromagnetic restraining bolt or something. You know that would just kind of um, encase poor Jammer um, in like a magnetic field of some kind. You know, so that would then trap the entity that's possessing him as well. Okay. 
Uh, what is that? Is that still a success? I needed a 13 or less. Yeah, that is. Okay. So when overpowers Jammer puts this, uh, let's just say it's like a, a electromagnetic collar around him and, uh, and stands back and, and uh, yeah, Captain Galvin, you know, sadly says, um, um, take him to the brig. It's, uh, it's too risky to have him roaming at will on the ship. All right. Okay, so we've got two scenes left here. Um, I kind of feel like this, this next scene is going to be the critical one. Um, and I'm, I'm sensing an opportunity for Wynn to be uh, part of this uh, overall heroics. Uh, because we are going to try and fly the fuck out of here. So, uh, yeah, so the, the timer is counting down. We have... Um, we have rebuffed the uh, the shadow beings. They are trapped on this planet. Sucks to suck, you know. What what, what can we say? Um, best of luck to you inside this uh, gravimetric singularity. Once it pops, however, ah no, we need to try and shut it down first, right? So so when when we'll get a chance at those heroics, um, if we need to pilot ourselves the hell out of here. Um, so I think this penultimate scene then, um, we can, yes, we can actually, you know, hello, why don't we give, why don't we give Picard and crew um, an opportunity to kind of have a little bit of screen time. Um, so let's see here. Do 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 do. All right. Lieutenant Commander. Okay, I'm just looking up who Jack Crusher the Elder. Uh, what his what his role was. Let's see here. And then um, and then we got to look up the. Um, stats for the Stargazer, which I have my Utopia Planitia book here with me. So, um, yeah, it doesn't seem to say what his exact role was. So we'll give him a little a little cameo as well. Okay, so that is a Constellation class ship. That's right. That's right. Okay, so let's go to. Constellation class. Mm-hmm. There you are. 146. Okay. Excellent. So what do we got here? So we're trying to figure out... We're trying to figure out um, whether or not we can somehow contain this gravimetric distortion. So I think... I would think in order to do that... Now based on my, my very quick sort of skimming of <laughs> uh, all that background material in Memory Alpha, um, it's really, like, easier said than done. Like, the Borg basically figured out some, like, nifty tricks in terms of, like, creating energy fields to contain these things and that sort of, you know, modified shields and that sort of thing. 
So I think it's like, yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot to uh, to ask of our constellation class uh, ship and its crew. Um, that being said, let's see. Let me just check. There's captain's log, starship data as well. Oh yeah, here we go. Okay, so let's see. So the uh, the ship stats for Captain's Log are actually a bit different than they are for Star Trek Adventures. Do 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 do. There we go. Interesting. I'm just sort of comparing them here. Okay. All right. So we'll go with the Captain's Log version. That's fine. Uh, yeah, because weirdly enough, they don't have the Stargazer as their sample starship in the Utopia. Um, book but um well actually that does look relatively comparable anyway that's fine we'll just use the generic stats for a constellation class in uh captain's log and let's see science for the department for sure and um mm, mm, mm. computers i think running diagnostics you know um, so I think, yeah, we'll, we'll just, we'll have, uh, we'll have Jack Crusher, Lieutenant Commander Jack Crusher, uh, you know, crunching the numbers as Picard, uh, you know, stands anxiously by and, uh, you know, uh, Lieutenant Commander, what's your report? You know, and, uh, let's see, let's, let's find out. So computers plus science, 11 or less. Um, okay, well, that's one success. Scraped that one. <laughs> and um, I think with that one success, I was looking I was looking for some momentum there or a focus um, advantage. So I think with that one success, uh, Crusher turns to Picard and shakes his head and he says, even with our two starships working together, Captain, I don't think there's any way we can contain this explosion. So... We'll call that a scene, and we'll move swiftly on to the final scene. So I've had nothing but success so far, at least as far. So I have to think a little bit about <laughs> how I define a successful scene. Now, even if even if the scenes where I was a little on the fence as to whether to call it a success or not, even if I had called those failures, I'd still have the vast majority of my scenes would be successes because a lot of these are more cut and dried. Um, but like, is it a success if I roll a success mechanically or is it a success narratively, i.e. I failed to, um, you know, come up with a plan to destroy the gravimetric distortion. So, you know what, actually we're going to call that a failure because that was the whole, the whole bloody theme of the thing. So we'll call that a failure. Um, I was also, I think I'm going to go back and changed act one scene five to a fail because that was where um that was where jammer got kidnapped and i had called that a success initially and that didn't really sit right with me even at the time and it has haunted me ever since okay so we're moving into 15 uh so picard's up on the view screen one last time as we begin so we end um he and um um uh, Galvin are are conferring. 
you know, Picard, of course, uh, he is he is not quite learned how to temper his his uh, sort of you know wild and impulsive um, tendencies that had you know gotten him stabbed through the heart shortly after graduating Starfleet Academy, um, or that lead to Jack Crusher's death, uh, you know, a year from now or whenever it is. Um, however, um, he. Much like how Kerensky is a bit of a, a role model for, for Wynn, I think uh, Galvin might be a bit of a role model for Picard in terms of, you know, that sort of steadiness, that calm stoicism, right? Uh, because here Galvin is saying, um, uh, you know, it's no good, Picard. Unfortunately, there's nothing we can do except uh, beat a hasty retreat. And uh, my, you know... Uh, I'm uh, sending over the data from my from uh, engineering um, as to how you can reroute your warp core through the auxiliary tubes, whatever I said <laughs> earlier, and um, and uh, that should give us uh, sufficient warp capacity to uh, put enough distance between us and the singularity. Um, it'll be a hell of a light show, though. If we make it out. All right. So, on that note, let's kick it over to Wynn. Uh, she is going to try and get the starship out of here. And I was just reviewing the rules earlier, and they had some examples of ship roles. So, we are going to go back and find those. Okay, so engage warp drive is an engines plus con roll. Oh right, because this is uh, <laughs> we're we're rolling the the ship. Okay, so engines plus con to engage the warp drive. Okay, that's fine. And then we'll we'll need a, a piloting roll to get the hell out of here. Okay. All right, so that is a engines plus con thirteen or less. Oh, thank God. Okay, so that's two successes. So that does give me some momentum, which is perfect, right? Because we can apply that to our our getaway here. All right, and uh, obviously that is going to be daring plus con. Punch it, Lieutenant. All right. Hey-oh. Okay, so... Um, I rolled two successes on that as well. So I'm going to spend the momentum and just use that to say the Stargazer, you know, gets away clean as well. I was contemplating rolling for them. Uh, I guess maybe just a note here on canon characters and canon events. Um, much like in Pendragon, if he dies, he dies. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's anyone that would have plot immunity, you know? So, I mean, if I had if I had biffed the role for the Stargazer, you know, maybe um, Enterprise D ends up with a different captain in a few years, you know? But, um, but no, as it is, um, uh, when expertly, um, you know, integrates with the rerouted uh, warp core, gets it powered up, and in fact is able to get the ship up to a, you know, 
significant warp um, speed that we get well outside of the uh, radius of the um, gravimetric singularity as it as it blooms almost instantaneously across trillions of kilometers of space centered on the former planet of Orath Prime um, which uh, perhaps perhaps is still there because these gravimetric singularities actually have little little cores where the distortion does not apply so maybe um, maybe our, our shadowy beings of pure thought um, still dwell upon that planet in the middle of the maelstrom so on that rather ominous note with this great fiery eye almost you know kind of kind of looks like a giant flaming eye appearing in the blackness of space far behind the two federation starships as they speed away um we will uh we will do our closing log flight control officer's log supplemental Thanks to Lieutenant Thorella, we escaped the gravimetric singularity in one piece. The so-called Orath Reef will prove itself a major impediment to navigating this part of the Beta Quadrant, but to the best of our knowledge, no humanoid life was lost. Lieutenant Commander Jammer says he's back to his old self now, but every once in a while, I could swear I see a strange look on his face, like a shadow crossing. All right. Well, thank you, dear listener, for coming with me on this first mission of Captain's Log. I think I'll do at least one more, and um, we'll just kind of see where it goes. I'm very curious to see now, having done one mission, how another mission, randomly generated, will compare. I feel like I feel like there's just a lot of potential here <laughs> to explore. And, um, yeah, it's going to be pretty fascinating, honestly. Um, I actually don't know off the top of my head what the sort of, like, character experience rules are like. I know at the end of a mission I can replace uh, values that I burned through. And I can even switch out uh, focuses if I want to. Um, I'm going to leave my focuses alone, but um, definitely need to generate two new values but I'm going to save that for next time and I'm also just going to do some reading here and see if there's anything else in terms of like I don't know experience points you know for increasing my attributes or disciplines or whatever so um yeah I think I think we'll just wrap it up there then for the time being and uh until next time All right, so we thought we were done, but we're not because we got to do this epilogue. We got to uh, determine what the next mission is ahead of time so that I can write a captain's log, or not a captain's log, but a um, an officer's log uh, intro. And also, if anyone is listening to this the week it is released uh, and you have any any feedback or opinions on this mission, hit me up and you may very well get some requests in before I record the actual uh, session 
<clears throat> okay, so here we go. We'll start with the mission type matrix. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> All right. Oops, I rolled two d twenty. Force of habit. All right, fourteen. <laughs> Better not be planetary exploration. No, it is research and development. Ooh. Okay, R and D. And what does that mean? Almost every starship in the in the fleet has the equipment and personnel to conduct a wide variety of scientific research. Nice. In addition to performing routine analysis related to exploration, you may engage in your own scientific studies as well as hosting Federation scientists performing independent research. Often, starships provide an excellent testbed for new technological developments. And whatever new technology or development someone comes up with must eventually be tested in the field. Uh-oh. All right. So let's find out what specific type of research and development we're doing. An eight. Oh. Interdimensional event? <laughs> oh, Lord Almighty. Um, you know, I, I, I can't. I just can't do it. I, we just did that. We just, we just messed around with interdimensional stuff. Navigational system. That sounds way better. Okay. We're testing out a new navigational system. And you know what? That actually is right in Wynn's wheelhouse as the... Uh, flight officer so okay now that we have the general mission directive figured out start adding more conflict to the story by using incidents and themes generate conflicts with these verb noun prompts or create your own yeah right okay inciting incidents or unexpected events that set your captain on their journey to, that will occupy them throughout the adventure mm-hmm all right here we go incident is save Theme Rogue Super Weapon. Lord, I can't get away from it. I cannot get away from it. Uh, I can't get away from these kind of pulpy uh, outcomes, I'll tell you. Rogue Super Weapon. Giant cannon the size of a planet. What happened to the kaboom? There should have been an earth-shattering kaboom. Alright. Roll d20 to generate starting advantage or complication. Right, so. What do we got? It's a complication this time. Uh-oh. 15. Overworked crew. The crew is too busy working on a different crisis on the ship and resources are suddenly stretched thin. Oh, wow. Okay. Complication. Overworked crew. That makes total sense. Okay. Now you should have your type of mission, incident theme, and advantage or complication affecting the mission figured out. Now you can make use of the encounter's probability matrix to really make your mission one of a kind. First roll on the type of encounter matrix below. Then roll on the subsequent matrixes. You can do this multiple times to make a rich tapestry of details for each mission. Hmm. Okay, so we get inhabited planet. Okay. Okay. And... 
two species and early stages of development. Uh oh, sounds like a prime directive issue. Okay, early stages of development. Okay, let's let's yeah let's do a second roll. Let's uh, let's kind of let's mix it up a little bit here. Deep space. Oh, interesting. Nine. Be funny if I did roll nine. Um, a trans warp conduit pulls in your vessel. That does seem to kind of correspond to the super weapon. Maybe it's like a um, trans warp tractor beam. Oh, okay. So I'm already kind of seeing uh, a possibility here. Pulls in your vessel seeing a possibility in the sense of we're testing uh navigation system a new navigational system um which is really overworking the crew um we get pulled in during warp travel by this kind of like transwarp tractor beam and um and we encounter a an inhabited planet with a species in early stages of development hmm Interesting. Uh, why we have to save this rogue superweapon, this transwarp tractor beam, and how that ties in with the species in the early stages of development are things that we'll find out on the next episode of Captain's Log, Star Trek Adventures. <laughs>